Well, how many of you have ever seen someone just totally rage out before? Let me see a show of hands. Like they just lost it, totally lost it, like red faced, screaming, yelling. Okay. Uh, I don't know about you. I I find it funny when that happens. I I mean, if you're on the receiving end of it, sometimes it's not funny. If you're the one raging out of control, it's definitely not funny to you. Uh, But, but watching someone just totally lose it and rage out can, can sometimes be funny. And, and I love watching Nick Saban rage out of control. The coach of the Alabama football team, here's an example. He's just totally loses it. It starts just going to town on his players, but he will lose it on referees, players, even some of his own coaches. I I saw him one time just getting in the face of Nick Saban on the sideline. He ripped off his headset. He was just yelling at him, screaming at him in his face. And, and, uh, and, and, and the the other coaches kind of turning, looking, you know, around to the other, other ways, but he was just losing it. I mean, I think it's hilarious to watch Nick Saban, uh, totally lose his cool and, and rage out on the sideline. And that, and that happens though, sometimes when the heat gets turned up, right? You're going to see that happen in Daniel chapter three today. The the heat gets turned up. Nebuchadnezzar loses it, but Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, that's their Jewish Hebrew names, don't lose it. They're faced with a problem too. They've got a, a hard situation, an impossible situation in front of them. And when the heat is turned up, I want you to see how they respond versus the way King Nebuchadnezzar responds. So turn with me to Daniel chapter three. How do you respond when things don't go your way or when you don't get what you want when you want it? I believe that we are in the last days. I've told you in this series that I believe that Jesus will return in my lifetime. And if that's true, and I believe it is, that means the heat is going to turn up on you and I as followers of Jesus, even in this country. We've had it pretty comfortable, pretty easy as followers of Jesus uh, in America, but I believe that's not going to remain the case, uh, that the heat is going to turn up. It's going to get less and less easy, less and less comfortable, Uh, to be a Christian, even in our own country, as we get closer and closer to the return of Christ. And that's why we're reading this book. That's why we're going through it verse by verse, chapter by chapter. That's why we're studying the book of Daniel, because the book of Daniel is not about uh, what just happened. It's also about what is happening and it's about what's going to happen. This is one of the most prophetic books in all of the scripture. And it tells us a lot about the return of Christ. And in doing so, it tells us a lot about how to act and how to respond in a culture that turns the heat up on Christians. But I believe even if it gets less comfortable for you and I as followers of Jesus, that that's actually great news because it's in evil times. It's when the heat is turned up that God often will show his faithfulness, his gospel, his glory, his power in ways that we have never seen before. It's almost like it's a megaphone. Suffering in evil times are like a megaphone that scream the glory, the power, and the gospel of our God. And you and I need to know how to survive in a culture that is heating up. We need to know how to be faithful to God in a culture that is heating up. And so that's why we're reading. That's why we're studying the book of Daniel, because you don't need an inspirational word. You need the inspired word. An inspirational word will always make you feel good. 
The inspired word of God will sometimes make you feel good. It'll sometimes comfort you, but other times it will challenge you. And ultimately God willing and by his spirit, it will change you. And so you and I need the inspired word of God that will sometimes convict us. Sometimes you're not going to feel like all the goosebumps and feel really good about yourself uh, when you read the word of God. An inspirational message will always do that. But the inspired word of God will challenge you and confront you sometimes, and we need that. That's why it's important to have a deep knowledge of the scripture. If you're going to remain faithful in our Babylon, you need a deep knowledge of the scripture, not a social media knowledge of the scripture, not a meme knowledge of the scripture, not even a devotional level knowledge of the scripture. You need a deep knowledge of the scripture if you're going to remain faithful in Babylon. So let me catch you up just briefly. I don't have time to review chapter one and chapter two, uh, but, but let me just catch you up just a little bit. We've got a guy named Daniel and his three friends. Their Hebrew names are Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They're given Babylonian names. And so you'll see in Daniel chapter three, the names they go by in Daniel three are what they are called, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So we've got these guys, they've been taken captive by the nation of Babylon. Uh, Babylon has come and wiped out Judah, has taken some of the members of the royal family into captivity. And so now some of the Jewish people, the Hebrews are in exile in Babylon and Daniel and his friends are four of the men that have been taken into exile. So you've got Daniel, you've got his friends, you've got the nation of Babylon. These are some of the characters. You've got King Nebuchadnezzar, who is the leader of Babylon, the king of Babylon. And then you've got the SOB. Now I know what you're thinking and what you're thinking SOB is not what I'm thinking. I'm talking about the spirit of Babylon. Okay. And that's, what's important to know as we read and study the book of Daniel, you got to know the SOB. If you're going to understand Daniel, okay, that's the spirit of Babylon. And remember the spirit of Babylon is a term. It's a theme. It's an idea that is present all throughout the scripture. This isn't just one nation. This is a spirit. It's a satanic spirit that is in rebellion against God and leads people in rebellion against God. It represents all that is opposed to God. And even in the end in revelation before Jesus returns, it's the spirit of Babylon that leads a rebellion against the church of Jesus Christ. Okay. And, and, and leads a rebellion against God himself. So, so you got to know about the spirit of Babylon and this book, like I've told you, it's not just about what happened. It's about what always happens and it's about what's going to happen. So let's go. Daniel chapter three, read along with us. Uh, don't sit back and just watch me and listen to me. Get out a copy of the scripture, get your Bible, get your phone app out on the Bible app on your phone. Read with me, uh, underline, highlight, circle, uh, get out our app. That would be the most the most beneficial thing you could do. The verses and the points will be there for you to fill in the blank as we go. Just click message notes when you open up our app. All right. Daniel chapter three, starting in verse one, let's go. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue, 90 feet tall and nine feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials. This is a, the definition of large government, okay? Uh, all the officials to come to the dedication of the statue that he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And then King Nebuchadnezzar is going to command everyone to bow down to this statue. Now, if you remember in Daniel chapter two, 
Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and Daniel tells him the dream and interprets the dream. And remember what is in the dream. It's a statue, remember? And Daniel says, hey, you're the head of gold. I can't go into the whole statue right now, but he says, hey, you're the head of gold and uh, this represents your kingdom and this represents you. You are the head of gold. But remember what he told him, there's a nation coming after you that's going to wipe you out and is going to take over power and that's going to be the, the, the Persian empire. But in this dream, what is the entire statue made of? It's all gold. And so some scholars have said, well, uh, the, the statue is of Nebuchadnezzar. Some have said, no, it's of one of the Babylonian gods. Here's the point. It doesn't really matter who the statue is made of or who it, who it is or who it's, uh, its likeness is. Uh, D- Nebuchadnezzar has already taken the interpretation of the dream and changed it. God has revealed himself to him. And instead of being obedient to the vision, instead of accepting the vision that God had given him, Nebuchadnezzar says, no, I'm going to make the statue how I want it to be. And I'm going to have people actually bow down. He gets it all wrong. He takes a created thing that was shown to him by the creator and begins to worship it. Sound familiar? We all do this. We take created things that have been given to us by the creator and we begin to worship them. We begin to serve them. We begin to give them our devotion and our loyalty and they become all about us. This statue, somehow Nebuchadnezzar makes all about himself and he turns the whole thing into gold and he makes it 90 feet high. I mean, this guy's got a huge self-esteem and then he wants people to bow down and worship it. And this is what dictators always do. They bring church and state together and they force the worship of their God on you. That's what dictators do. And so uh, the scripture, once again, in Daniel is reminding us and warning us, it's always dangerous for church and state to be combined. I mean, the very fact that we've got this statue that this king has set up and demanding people worship, we've got the interwoven uh, nature of king, God, country, nation. I mean, they're all woven together. And if you're going to be a good Babylonian, then you've got to worship the God of Nebuchadnezzar. In 1936, Nazi Germany politician and the first leader of Hitler Youth said this, if we act as true Germans... We act according to the laws of God. Whoever serves Adolf Hitler serves Germany and whoever serves Germany serves God. You see, it's always a a bad thing to combine church and state. It always has been, even when Christians are in power. The worst theology and the worst unimaginable things that Christians have ever done have taken place when Christians were in power and they combined church and state. This is never a good thing. It has never worked well in the hands of broken people, sinful, wicked people, combining these two things together. They're not supposed to be together. Not in the hands of broken people. This is what dictators do. But every nation, one Jewish author, five years later, after uh, the the, the rise of Adolf in, in Nazi Germany, one Jewish historian said this, every nation is inclined to make an idol of its own inner spirit. And so here's what that has looked like for us in the church in America. We, we've, we've actually equated God and country. How, how do you know? And why, why, how could I possibly say that? Because we actually have God and country services in our churches. 
It's not God and country. Make no mistake, it's God then country. They are not one in the same. The worship of God is, is not being a good American and being a good American doesn't mean worshiping God. They are not one in the same. This is always a bad thing. It's always a bad thing to combine church and state because things start to get confusing and the people who are in power begin to warp and idolatrize things that should not be worshiped. And so while we're inclined to identify with the three men in this story, it's equally as important for us to identify with Nebuchadnezzar who wants to be worshiped and who wants all power, who wants control, and who wants people to do what he wants them to do when he wants them to do it. And for those of us in America who have blended together God and country, it's a warning to us as well. That it is not God and country, it is God then country. We must not serve and worship created things rather than the creator. And we see this continue in verse four. Look what happens. Then a herald shouted, people of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, I mean, he's put together a whole band, an orchestra. I mean, he's about to have a church service here. He says, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue, and anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. And so at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshiped the gold statue that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. He says, we're all going to worship. And you know why? Because we're all created to worship. You see, every last one of us is worshiping something. The question is what? What are you worshiping? Who are you worshiping? You, you were created, you may not have realized this, you were created and designed to worship by your creator. God designed you to worship. And so there's this innate desire inside of every single one of us to worship something, to give ourselves to something, to be devoted to something, to love something. There's an innate desire inside of us because we've been created to do so by our creator, by our designer. The only question is, what are you worshiping? What are you bowing down to? Who are you worshiping? Who are you, bow, are you bowing down to? If you're not worshiping God, then you are worshiping a person, a thing, or maybe yourself. And when Nebuchadnezzar says, all races and nations and language, listen to this, and bow down to this image. This is once again, the spirit of Babylon producing a counterfeit to the plan of God. You see, when you go back to Genesis chapter 12, God promised Abraham, Abraham, through your seed, all the nations, all the families, all the peoples, all the races of the earth will be blessed through your seed. And when we get to Jesus, in the Gospels, the Messiah, we learn that Jesus is the son of David, the son of Abraham, that he is the seed that was promised that would be a blessing to all nations. And then in the end, in Revelation chapter 7, we see all nations, people from every tribe, tongue, and language standing and then bowing before the throne of God where Jesus is reigning as King of Kings. And it says that they all, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, a, a, a crowd so vast, no one could count bowed before the Lamb of God. And so this is what God is working everything to, to Revelation chapter seven, when all nations, 
People from every tribe, tongue, and nation will bow before the Son of God, the Lamb of God. That, that, this is what God is doing. If we ever want to know, what is the will of God? God, what is your will for my life? Well, God's will for your life and my life, God's will is to see every tribe, tongue, and nation worship his Son, Jesus. That's God's will. And so that's what God is doing in and through you. It's what God is doing in and through nations. It's, what's God, it's what God is doing in and through all of history. God is orchestrating and working things together so that all nations will worship Jesus. And so here we see a counterfeit that the spirit of Babylon has produced in order to steal worship from God. And this is what the spirit of Babylon is always doing, trying to steal worship from God that is only owed to God. A little over a year ago, my wife went on a birthday trip with one of her friends, several of her friends to Cancun and one of her friends turned 40. And so they went to, they went to Cancun and had a great time. And she came back with some nice Ray-Bans. And uh, I'm thinking, oh, nice Ray-Ban sunglasses. I'm sure we spent a couple hundred dollars on those. And she's like, hey, just slow down, okay? I got these for a dollar on the beach. They're knockoffs, right? So, so they weren't expensive. She didn't pay all that money for those glasses because they were knockoffs. They weren't worth that same price that you would pay for the real thing, right? If you get knockoff Jordans, if you get knockoff Oakleys, if you get a knockoff Louis Vuitton in the back alley of some large city, right? You're not paying full price because it's not worth it. You're buying a counterfeit. And so you're not gonna pay as much for it. Because the counterfeit is worthless. It's not worth what the real thing is. You see, the counterfeit's always gonna let you down. It can never come through on what it promises. The counterfeit is a lie. The counterfeit will look good, it will feel good, it will sound good, but the counterfeit is always a lie. And it will never come through on what it promises. And it will always just bring you pain and regret. Because it's a counterfeit. It's worthless. It cannot satisfy you. It will not fulfill you. You see, God, as our creator, desires your worship because he is about his glory and your good. And your good, God's best for your life is in relationship with him, worshiping him, being devoted to him, being committed to him. That's his best for your life. God, the scripture says, is a great dad and he wants what's best for his kids. And God knows what's best for you. And what's best for you is a relationship with him and it is worshiping him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength because the counterfeit will always destroy you. And that's what's going to happen. We're going to see it here in just a little bit. But the more you worship God and the more time you spend in the presence of God and the more you grow in your relationship with Jesus, here's what you're going to find. The less impressive the counterfeits are, the less impressive all other things and even all other people become. The more you know Jesus and the more time you spend with him, the less impressive everything else gets. 
I mean, we've noticed even in the chapter so far, and you're going to see it here in just a little bit, that these men are just standing before a king who can end their life with a word and they are fearless. They are courageous. They are bold. And they even preach truth to King Nebuchadnezzar. Why? Because they've been in the presence of a king and they know they are citizens of the kingdom of God. And so all other lesser kings and kingdoms just aren't that impressive anymore. And so they aren't fearful. And it's because when you spend time with Jesus and when you've worshiped and served the creator rather than created things, rather than the counterfeit, things and people just start to get less impressive. Let's keep reading. Verse eight. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the, the harp, the pipes, and other musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those are their Babylonian names, whom you put in charge of the province of Babylon, they pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue that you have set up. In Daniel chapter two, we saw Daniel save these guys' lives. And now they've turned against them. Why? They're jealous. Nebuchadnezzar, these Jews that you put in charge of the province of Babylon, remember that was, that was your choice. You put them in charge and now they won't bow down to your statue. And so the men who saved their lives, they go and tell on them. They informed on them, right? They're, they're telling on them. But what happens to snitches? Right? Snitches get stitches. And in a few chapters in Daniel chapter six, these snitches are going to get some stitches. You just have to stick with us to find out. But they go to King Nebuchadnezzar and what do they say? We, we've got a problem with the Jews. So let's throw them in the furnace. Sound familiar? We got a problem with some Jews. So let's throw them in a furnace. I'm going to tell you again, the book of Daniel is not just about what happened. It's about what is happening and it's about what's going to happen. They've got a problem with some Jews. They want to throw them in the furnace. The same thing happened under Nazi Germany thousands of years later. Anti-Semitism in every form of racism and white supremacy is satanic in its origin. And it's just what the spirit of Babylon uses over and over and over again to divide us. It is satanic in its origin. And the spirit of Babylon continues to bring a hatred towards the people of God, the Jewish people, over and over and over again. And it's going to happen again in times yet to come. In verse 13 and 14, let's look, let's look, let's go back. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. And when they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue that I have set up? Monotheism, the belief that there is one God and one way to heaven will always produce thankfulness or bitterness. 
It produces thankfulness in the life of the believer. God, you've made a way for me to be saved. You've saved me from the fiery furnace. God, thank you for making a way. That's the thankfulness that comes from the life of a believer. From a non-believer, it's bitterness. God, there should be any number of ways I want to be saved and to be right with you. God, I, I, I should be able to come up with my own way to get to heaven and to be right with you. There's bitterness or thankfulness in the heart of every person that is faced with monotheism. As opposed to polytheism, which says there's many gods, there's many ways to heaven. It's all one mountain that all, all roads lead to God. That sounds good and feels good, but it's a counterfeit. It's not true. Our creator God has made a way for us to be saved. And it's beautiful, but the scripture tells us that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the beauty of the gospel in the face of Christ. It's a miracle that God does in the life of a believer when he removes that veil, when he removes those blinders, and then you begin to see, oh, the cross, it's the wisdom and power of God. The gospel's so beautiful. God, you made a way. You made a way for me to be saved and to be right with you. You see, monotheism always produces thankfulness or bitterness. Verse 15 I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? You see, whether this statue is Nebuchadnezzar or not makes no difference. The heat is turned up and it always reveals what's in our hearts. And once again, God is showing and revealing what's in Nebuchadnezzar's heart as the heat is turned up on him. And Nebuchadnezzar says, what God could rescue you from my hand? Putting himself in the place of God or is more powerful than God. There, there's no God. I mean, he's already heard from this God in Daniel chapter two. But already the rebellion and the hatred that he has in his heart has come to the surface once again. Jesus says, whatever's in you is gonna come out of you. And if you want to know what's in you, you just have to look at what's coming out. Let's keep reading. Verse 16. If we are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. They, they offer no defense. They don't get defensive. They're not prideful. They're not angry. They're, they're not hateful. They stand their ground and they're firm, but they're not defensive. Isaiah 53 says that our Messiah, Jesus, was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a lamb is silent before his shearers, so the lamb will be silent before his accusers. And when Jesus, who had done no wrong, had, was brought before his authorities, he very willingly and silently went to the cross. Jesus didn't get defensive. Here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not defensive. They don't, they don't go posting on social media, blasting everybody, getting angry and defensive. We don't have to defend ourselves. God will defend us. Verse 17, if we are thrown into the fire, into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But then here are the key words in this entire chapter, but even if he doesn't, 
I'd circle, underline, highlight, even if, but if not, some translations say, even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that we have set up. I want you to look in 17 and 18 real quick and circle or count the number of times the word we or us is used. Just look. How many times is we or us used? If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you that we will never serve or worship uh, your, your gods or worship the statue that you've set up. Listen, you've got to have a we if you're going to remain faithful in Babylon. Now, I'm not talking about just having some church friends. I'm not talking about just having Christian friends that you, that you know. I'm talking about having a circle of people that you are pursuing Jesus with, that you're studying the scripture with, you're praying with, that have your back, that are there for you. You need a we to circle around me if you're going to remain faithful in your Babylon. There's no way around it. When you read the book of Daniel, I mean, we've already seen it how many times? Over and over and over again. The only way you're going to remain faithful in Babylon is if you have a circle of Christian friends around you that you're doing the Christian life with. And so here we do that in what we call city groups. And so I want to challenge you, if you're not in a city group, to get into one. Go on our app, uh, the City Church Lubbock. You can download it in your app store. Uh, on that main page, there's a, a box that says uh, city groups. Click that and then you can sign up to be in a group or you can sign up to start a group for your family and friends. It's real easy. We've got a discussion guide that we post every week. You can see it there probably now uh, that will lead you through the book of Daniel, that, that chapter for that week and give you questions to ask. It's, it's super easy. But you need a we to circle around me if you're going to remain faithful in Babylon. Now let's look in 17 and 18. Uh, they, they confess that our God is able to save us. And so there's no doubt in their minds about the ability of God to deliver them from the fire. But they humbly accept the fact that God does not always choose to intervene miraculously in human circumstances, even on behalf of his servants. So watch this. They believed it wasn't a matter of God's ability. It was a matter of his sovereignty. Rescuing them from the fire wasn't about God's ability. It was about his sovereignty. They had witnessed God's power over the false gods of Babylon already in the king's dream in chapter two. No question was in their minds that the God who divided the sea and performed other miracles in delivering Israel from Egypt could do the same thing for them if it was within his will. So to them, it wasn't a matter of if God could that was established. They knew God could. It was a matter of if God would. And they decided to worship, serve, and remain loyal to their God regardless of the outcome. In other words, here's what they were saying. My experience says nothing about who God is. My experience doesn't change one thing about God. God remains the same and worthy of my worship, my praise, my life, my faithfulness, my commitment, regardless of what happens to me. My experience says nothing about who God is or what he can do. Let's keep reading. Verse 19. 
Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He's, he's saving it out here. He's, he's ripping off the headset. He's freaking out. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. And then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. And so they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in it. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. These are the strongest men that Nebuchadnezzar has in his army. These are the guys with no neck, okay? They're, they're jacked, okay? They've been working out. They got no necks. Um, these are not your valedictorians, okay? They're not the smartest group in the bunch, uh, these are your defensive ends at Babylon high. Okay. And they're tying Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego up and they're throwing them in the fire, but they get too close and they're burned up. They die. So their earthly power, their earthly strength, their earthly success did nothing for them when the fire came. It didn't help them out at all. And their loyalty to a godless King only serves to bring their death not the life they expected. You see, when you bow to the king of kings or bow down to a false king, it's one or the other. You're bowing down to the king of kings or you're bowing down to a false king. You're gonna bow down to the king of kings who's a king who loves you and died for you in your place or you're bowing down to a king that wants to dominate you, ruin you and destroy you. And these three men have bowed down to a false king, to a counterfeit. And the counterfeit is always, again, going to look good, feel good, and appear good, but it's never going to come through on its promise. It's always a trap. It's a mirage. The counterfeit is always a lie. The counterfeit may look good and feel good, but it's a trap. The spirit of Babylon says, follow your heart. Do what feels good. Love whoever you want to love. That's satanic. The scripture says, the heart is deceitful above all else. No one can trust it. So the scripture says, don't trust your heart. The spirit of Babylon says, the counterfeit, trust your heart. Do what feels good. The scripture says, don't trust your heart. It's deceptive of all else. It will lead you astray. It will lead you into giving yourself to a counterfeit that will only serve to destroy your life. Verse 24. But suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did. And they replied, look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire, unharmed. And the fourth looks like a God. Some translations say looks like a son of a God. Nebuchadnezzar looks in the fire that's supposed to kill these men. And they're hanging out, having a good time. Like it's a sauna. I mean, they're just 
They're chilling out, Max, and relaxing, all cool, right? I mean, they're, they're, they are having a good time. And then Nebuchadnezzar sees a fourth guy in there with them. And scholars and commentators have debated whether this is an angel or the pre-incarnate Jesus making an appearance here. And, uh, and we don't really know. When you read the Old Testament, oftentimes you'll, you'll, you'll read about an angel of the Lord showing up and delivering a message from God. This is an angelic being. And it appears to be an angelic being. In other words, not human. That's why when an angel shows up, usually they're saying, don't fear because they're scary looking. They're not human. It's like alien in nature. You, you, don't, you don't realize what it is. But here, Nebuchadnezzar says, this looks like a son of a God. It, it kind of looks like a, a, a person, not, not like an angelic being. This looks like, sometimes you'll read in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord. And when, the Old, when you read in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord with a definite article, the, oftentimes scholars are saying that's Jesus. That's the pre-incarnate Jesus showing up. This is the son of God. And so I believe here, can't say for sure, but I believe this is Jesus. And he is showing up in the fire with these three men. Jesus is showing up and he is standing with them and he is walking them through this fire. Verse 26, then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out, come here. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. The Babylonian ropes burn off of them. The Babylonian guards burn up, but there is zero evidence that these men have been in the fire. Their bodies have not been burned. Their hair has not been singed. Their robes were not scorched. There wasn't even the smell of fire on them. Have you ever, have you ever spent time around a campfire? And uh, you, you get home, you don't realize it at the time, but then you, you get home later and you smell those clothes and they just, they reek of a campfire and, and you got to wash them. And sometimes you got to wash them again and again and again to get that smell out. That's how powerful that smell is. And, and they said that they don't even smell like a campfire. When I was a freshman at tech, I had a roommate who would take my clothes out of my closet. He would steal them to go smoke weed in it. And then he would put them back in my closet. I'm like, bro. <laughs> These clothes reek. What are you, whoa, what are you talking about? Oh, right, sure, yeah. Uh, they reek. I mean, they smell like weed. Like, don't take my clothes. Or if you are, at least go get them dry cleaned or something. I mean, at least, you know, try to pass it off. I mean, these clothes reek. Because if you've ever smoked something or you've been in the presence of a fire, you smell like it. The Hebrew here. The Hebrew here is the fire literally had no power over them. That's what happened here. When Nebuchadnezzar says that the, the fire, that it didn't even touch them, they don't smell like smoke. The, the idea, the word picture here in, in Hebrew in the original language is that it had no power over their bodies. The three Jewish men now 
literally experienced this promise in Isaiah 43, verse two. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Verse 28, then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any God except their own. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whether their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar says, there is no other God who can rescue like this. Once once again, God is using an impossible situation and orchestrating everything in this impossible situation to reveal their good, his gospel, and his glory. And that is what God is doing in all impossible situations. He is working and orchestrating them in such a way to reveal your good, his gospel, and his glory. You see, Babylon had defeated Judah in battle, and the pagan nations commonly held that their victory over another nation was proof that their God was greater than the deity of their conquered foe. But God made it clear to Nebuchadnezzar and to the whole world that Judah's defeat was not because their God did not exist or was powerless to, do, to defend them. God desired that through the witness of this incident, this miracle, that everyone would choose to follow him, that they would choose to turn to him in faith for salvation. God was showing, I'm not like your lowercase g gods who are not gods at all. I am a God who rescues. And I believe this God who rescues is calling some things out of us today as followers of Jesus. Three things. And here's the first one. I believe this God who rescues is challenging us and calling out of us an even if commitment. Even if commitment. Nebuchadnezzar is playing both sides and he continues to do so all throughout the book of Daniel. He's playing both sides. And here's what I mean by that. Whoever seems to be winning at the moment, that's the God he's gonna serve and that's the God he's going to acknowledge. There's no real genuine repentance here in his heart. There still isn't. And he continues to to show that by his continued idolatry. He continues to to show that there's not any, there hasn't been a real heart change in spite of all the miracles that have taken place. Just like in Jesus' day, when Jesus rose Lazarus from the grave, people immediately left that moment and went and plotted how to kill him. Miracles are not the answer. We've got a heart problem. And that's the real miracle. That's the real miracle that God does in the life of a person when they go from not believing to believing. He does a miracle in their hearts. Nebuchadnezzar continues to play both sides of the fence. He wants all the benefits and none of the responsibility, sacrifice or costs that come from following and worshiping the one true God because his goal is comfort and ease. And if your goal is comfort and ease, if my goal is comfort and ease, then you and I will deny our God. Our goal is not success. It is not comfort. Our goal is faithfulness. That's our goal. And that's what this chapter reveals to us. And when you contrast the faith of Nebuchadnezzar with Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, 
We find this even if kind of commitment that says you can save me from the fire, God, but if not, I'm still going to worship and serve you. It says nothing about who you are if you don't choose to save me by your sovereign will in this moment. My experience changes nothing about you, God. And so we will never serve and worship your God's Nebuchadnezzar. We will only worship the one true God, even if he doesn't rescue us. He can, he's able, but even if he doesn't, we are still committed to our God. Now listen, this challenge to bow down to an image may seem old. It may seem out of touch because we just don't ever experience things like that here in this country. But remember, this story is not about what happened just about what happened. It's about what always happens. And one day the book of revelation tells us, and this day is coming soon. I believe that faithfulness to God will mean once again, refusing to bow down to an image set up by a beast. We said last week that before Jesus returns, there will be a 10 nation confederacy that will come to power. They will hand their power over to a beast. And this beast will in revelation 13, set up an image once again for all nations to bow down to. And if you don't bow down to it, you will die. And that day is coming. And I believe that day is coming in our lifetime. This is not just a kid's story about what happened. It's a story about what always happens. It's a story about what is going to happen before the return of Jesus. And so this day is coming for us, for the people of God, once again. And in verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar says about Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they were willing to die rather than to bow down to a false God. They were willing to die. Revelation 12 says, if we're going to overcome the spirit of Babylon, if we're going to overcome this day that is to come, that we will defeat him, Satan, in the spirit of Babylon by the blood of the lamb, by the word of our testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. John says, if we're going to overcome that day, we cannot love this life so much that we are afraid to die. We cannot love the things of this life so much that we are afraid to die. But if you aren't living for him now, what makes you think you'll die for him later? Like if you're, if you're bowing to idols now, what makes you think you won't bow later? In our culture, it's a little bit more subtle. It's a little bit more deceptive, the things that we bow to. What are you, what are you bowing to? I think oftentimes in our culture, it's, it's good things, even fun things, secondary things that become primary things. And I'll just be honest with you, in my world, that's baseball. It was for me growing up and my family. It is today in our family. Baseball usually kind of rules the day. Basketball, football, gymnastics, we, we do all those things. Could be hunting, it could be golf, could be work. These are all good things, but they're all secondary things. 
And what we tend to do is make them primary things. And here's how we do it. Um, we never say no to them. You say no to secondary things. You, you don't say no to primary things. And so if you're never saying no to things that take your attention and your time, your love, your loyalty away from God, if you're never saying no to those things, then, then maybe, maybe, I'm not saying it is, but maybe those things have become primary in your life. If you're never saying no to them, you've got to say no. You've got to say no sometimes. I mean, one weekend here and there, a Wednesday night here, I mean, uh, you know, that's one thing. But if you're never saying no, then those things have become primary. They, they, they just have. If you're never saying, no, 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 we're not, we're not gonna bow down this week. I, I mean, we, we do all the things, I, I promise you. And, I, and we're, we don't always get this right and we won't always get this right. I'm just gonna tell you right now. But right now, we have said no. My son plays travel baseball and uh, they have a practice every Wednesday night. We've said no, he's not going. If he's gonna be on the team, if, then, then they'll have to be okay with that. We're gonna go to do some tournaments. We're gonna do some of them. We're not, we, we won't do all of them, especially if they're gonna miss Sunday. We just won't. It's not that it's fine if it's here and there, but that's not our priority. Being good at baseball isn't our priority. Playing on the high school baseball team isn't the priority in our family. Uh, getting a scholarship to play baseball is not the priority. Uh, a professional contract one day is not the priority in our family. It's, it's just not. And so we say no to those things. If you're not ever saying no, could it be that something that's secondary has become primary and you're bowing to the spirit of baseball, hunting, basketball, cheerleading, whatever it is, if it's keeping you from worshiping the one true God. Just maybe, maybe it's become primary. And if you're not living for God now, what makes you think you would bow later? And why do, why do we bow to these things? It's because of the cost of not bowing. That's why we bow. It's because of the cost of not bowing. So you and I, we need an even if kind of commitment, regardless of the cost, we're, we're not going to bow we will only bow to the one true God, regardless of the cost. We've got to start saying no, no more. That's what Jesus said when Satan came and tempted him in the desert. No, I don't care what you have to offer me. I will worship and serve God alone. Even if commitment. Secondly, I believe this God who rescues is calling out even if faith in us, even if faith. And here's what even if faith looks like. Even if faith says this, God, you can deliver me from death or you're going to deliver me through death. That's even if faith. God, you can deliver me from death or you're going to deliver me through death. And that's the greatest miracle ever. Jesus said, if you believe in me, even though you die one day, you will live. You will conquer death. And unless you are alive when Jesus returns, you will die. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die. It's the curse of sin. And so unless you're alive when Jesus returns, you are going to die. And so God will either deliver you from death because you'll be alive when he returns or he's going to deliver you through death. Make no mistake, God's purpose is not to keep you alive here on this earth and in this body. 
It is broken. It has been cursed by sin. This world and this body. God's purpose and God's plan is to give you a new and eternal life on a new earth and a new city with a new body. That's God's purpose. And that is his plan. And so this story warns us of the false promise that God will save every faithful person from suffering and death. I mean, such a story would betray the faithful martyrs who have stood faithful but suffered death for their faith in Christ. The story of church history from its beginnings under the Roman Empire to the present has countless stories of faithful witnesses who have stood firm to the end. Why? Because they believe that Jesus rescued them from the fiery furnace too. See, the scripture says we've all sinned and fallen short of God's standard to have a relationship with him and to go to heaven when we die because of our sin. And not only that, there's a fine to be paid for your sin. Eternity separated from God in a place called hell in a fiery furnace. But God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus, the king of kings, to die for you in your place for your sin. And Jesus can save you from the fiery furnace too if you would give your life to him. And the Bible says when you give your life to Jesus, your sin is completely forgiven. You're made right with God and you can know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven. You can be sure because of what Jesus has done for you. You can be sure because Jesus stands with us and for us in the fire. Through his death on the cross, Jesus stood for you. He took the fire of God, the wrath of God for your sin and my sin. He took it upon himself. He died in your place for your sin. And so when you give your life to Jesus, the punishment has been paid. The fine has been paid in full and there's no fine left to be paid because Jesus not only stands with you through the fire, he has stood for you in the fire. And so when you give your life to Jesus, your sin is forgiven and the fire will have no power over you. You will be delivered from death. So I challenge you, if you've never given your life to Jesus, to do so today, jump on our app, fill out our connect form and just let us know about the decision. Check that box that says you're committing your life to Jesus. One of Jesus's followers, Peter said this in first Peter chapter one, we will be grieved by many trials, but these trials will test the genuineness of your faith that is of greater worth than gold. And then Peter said in chapter four, so don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you're going through as if they were strange. In other words, Peter was saying the heat is going to be turned up. But the heat that Satan wants to use to consume you, God is going to use to purify you. And sometimes you don't even see Jesus until you're in the fire. And sometimes you don't even know you need Jesus until you're in the fire. But when you walk with Jesus, you won't even smell like smoke. The fire will have no power over you. And then finally, this God who rescues is calling out even if worship, even if worship. And so our team's gonna lead us in a time of worship now. And I wanna invite you to stand up right where you are. Uh, and we're gonna worship God this morning because we have a God who rescues his people. 
We're gonna sing to the one and only God who is able to rescue, who has rescued us from the fiery furnace. We're gonna sing to the one and only God who is our fortress in times of trouble. We're gonna sing to the one and only God who is with us in the valley of the shadow of death, who is with us in the fire and keeps us from the fire. God, we thank you that you are a God who rescues. And God, I just pray that by your spirit, you would rise up and call out an even if commitment, an even if faith, and an even if worship in us this morning. God, we thank you for your word, your inspired word. And God, I pray that it would comfort us and it would challenge us and it would change us through the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen.